This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Take your Bibles, Acts chapter 5. The last time we were in this chapter, we noted what magnified ministry looks like. In other words, ministry that in God's eyes is acceptable, but then ministry that becomes significant in the minds of people, whether they're believers or not. And we noted that it's when the Holy Spirit is in control and demonstrating his power through the saints that people sit up and take note. It's not human engineering. It's not flesh effort. It's what the Spirit of God does. We were encouraged with the fact that what we see in the book of Acts, including chapter 5, it's what God wants to do in the church throughout the church age, until the trump sounds, when Jesus comes back to take us home. It's exciting to be in a church where the power of God is being demonstrated. But Acts chapter 5 also reminds us that with that comes storms. Now the Lord is going to take care of those storms as the ladies have just sung, but there are going to be Storms of trial, tribulation, and especially persecution. And so the last time we studied Acts together, we saw what the Holy Spirit was doing in the church in Jerusalem. And their ministry became larger and larger and significant in the minds of those in Jerusalem and the surrounding towns. Those outside the church understood that there was something powerful and real about these believers who loved and served their Lord. Yet when the Spirit's work in an empowered church grows, and of course in this church there were miraculous healings, multitudes of men and women that were saved according to verse 14, it's an immediate threat to the religious and educated establishment that is becoming more and more insignificant. I did not plan this message tonight in light of what's happening in our area and in our state and in our nation politically. But I'm so thankful tonight there are many, many parallels and there's no better place to go to have your perspective helped, corrected, focused than the Word of God. And this text is going to do that for us tonight. Again, when the church is powerful, when people are being reached with the gospel, it does become a threat to the religious and educated and political establishment. And so we're going to treat this text, again, as narrative, just like the Word of God gives it to us. When God gives us His Word in story form, we as preachers have to be careful that we treat it as a story, just like the Holy Spirit presents it. You can chop it all up and make it sermon points, 
But I think sometimes that takes away from the point. All of us love to hear stories. Holy Spirit knew that. And so he gives us many of these texts in narrative form. And so look at verse 17. Again, people have been miraculously healed. Multitudes have been saved. Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, they're included too. So you have Pharisees, Sadducees teaming up, and they were filled with indignation. What was that? Well, that's literally the word envy. They were envious. I want to pause here and just say, what a sorry bunch of rascals. Bunch of people have been healed, they've been made well, and you're upset by that? Now, we're not surprised, are we? Remember the Gospels? Jesus went about doing good and healing, and the more he did that, the more these guys hated him. Remember when Jesus raised Lazarus? They all convened to figure out how to kill Lazarus and Jesus. They're not about helping people. They really don't care. Their, care, their concern is power, their position. People are being healed. They're being helped. But all these guys can think about is their position. Now, our Lord told his disciples in John 15, 18, that this would happen. He said, if the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. Scripture reveals repeatedly why they hated the Lord and the apostles. Matthew and Mark's Gospels tell us Pilate recognized the Pharisees had turned Jesus over to him. Why? Because of envy. It says this both in Matthew 27, 18 and in Mark 15, 10. They admitted to this in John eleven forty eight. 48. Again, after Lazarus was raised, they said, If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away our place, our job, our influence. They'll take it away and our nation. Now, we need to realize tonight that the powerful, transformative work of the gospel is significant and real, and the enemies of the cross will do anything that they can to stop it. Sometimes we think that, well, they're after us. They don't want God in the schools. Prayer is gone. Anything that God has established as structure and right, they're trying to do away with it. Everything he created, all the wonderful order that he made, they're trying to do away with it. Marriage, gender, unborn life. We, we could go on and on and on. But, but it, when you and I speak out against it, well, they're against us. No, they're really against God. Psalm 2 tells us that they are working together. They're agitated. They're irritated. And who are, they, who are they really against? The Lord and his anointed. And that word in Psalm 2 means Messiah. Warren Wiersbe calls this, quote, the age-old conflict between living truth and dead tradition. And as we go on in the book of Acts, it's going to rage. In fact, 
Let me just let you know where this story is going. We're going to have a couple climaxes even in the text we're looking at tonight. But ultimately where this escalates to is when you get to the end of chapter 5. This is going to be the first time they take all these apostles and they beat them. And then let them go. Now, does that deter the apostles? No, they leave rejoicing. They were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. By the way, at the hands of the same people that crucified him. And they just keep on keeping on sharing the gospel. And so tonight, the persecution passages in the book of Acts are intended to prepare us for opposition from those whose message is insignificant. And to remind us not to let the opposition stop the significant proclamation of the gospel. Why are they against Christianity? Because it's significant. True Christianity is significant. And that's why in our public schools you can believe whatever nuttery you want. I just made that word up, by the way, all right? Hi, Siri, define neutery. Don't, don't do that, or nuttery, whatever, okay. You can believe whatever you want, but don't believe and quote the Bible. Did Siri just go off on somebody's phone? Oh, my word. But why is the Bible such a threat? Because the Bible is significant, it's true. So these persecution texts in the book of Acts are going to show us that. I've entitled the message tonight, Insignificance Exposed. That's really what's happening here. Now we already know the ferocity, ferocity I'm sorry, of the envy of the Jewish leaders. How do we know that? They put Jesus, a perfect man, the God-man, on a cross. So after that, nothing should surprise us, right? We already know their hate, their envy. They had also previously taken Peter and John into custody for healing a lame man. Now their persecution is going to be taken to the next level. Look at verse 18. And laid their hands on the apostles. It appears all of the apostles now are rounded up. And they put them in the common prison. It must have been late enough that the high priest and Jewish leaders didn't convene court. Uh, but they put the uh, apostles in the common jail and they probably went to bed, uh, these, these religious leaders. Here the Lord is preparing to remind these religious leaders again of his power. Look at verse 19. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth. This is the first of several instances in Acts where angels are sent by God to intervene and to help on behalf of the work of the church. Now we all know God could have used those angels to perfectly carry out the, the spread of the gospel. He chose instead to use us. What a privilege that we have. And yet that host of angels, those ministering spirits as Hebrews refers to them, God sends them now repeatedly through the book of Acts to help the church, to assist 
the church in doing this work. Now, this is also another reminder of the religious leaders' ignorance since the Sadducees, and when they were mentioned back in verse 17, remember, they didn't believe in angels. Acts 23 in verse 8 reminds us of that. They don't believe in angels, and yet an angel just went and let all these apostles out of jail. You see what God's doing? God's power through his servants, with the help of his mighty angels, is unstoppable as long as we're doing God's will and letting him lead. Why are we such a threat? Because God is real. His truth is real. The gospel is powerful. And you and I are proof of it. Now notice what the angel says to them, says for them to do when they're released. He didn't say, all right, go hide. He didn't say that. Verse 20, go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of, and what's the next two words in your text? This life. What is that? Well, these words of eternal life through the message of Christ. What you were declaring before, where multitudes have been saved, get back up there and keep preaching. Isn't that good? Go back. Just keep doing what you were doing. Verse 21, and when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, this is a challenge to me. They didn't go get a nap first. Whatever time this happened, you know what they did? Right back to the temple, and they got right back after it. Wow. Now, this is in direct obedience to the angel's directive from King Jesus. Now comes one of those scenes in the Bible that if you just meditate on it, it's going to make you smile. It's going to make you smile. Put yourself there, all right? Just let's go back this evening. Let's go back and walk into that prison. We pass guards who are at the door, and there's probably some kind of a hallway, a causeway that goes back to the main prison. Now, there may be other ways in and out of that, uh, but all of those ways are guarded. So this is a miracle. There, uh, we, we're not told exactly how this worked, but the angel just lets them go. Now, but the high priest came, and they that were with them probably had slept, and they called the council, the Sanhedrin, together, and all the senate of the children of Israel, the other elders in Israel who were probably advisors to the Sanhedrin. So if you were somebody in Jerusalem, you were here. Political elites, the wealthy, Pharisees, Sadducees, all right, so they're all gathered together. Is everyone here? All right, are we ready to start? We're ready to start. All right, soldiers, go to the prison and have them brought. Verse 22, but when the officers came and found them not in the prison, <laughs> they returned. Again, it's got to make you smile. A guarded prison, the soldiers walk in, where did everybody go? 
How did they get out of here? Now, if you're thinking ahead in the book of Acts, it's going to happen again. Only the next time it's going to be just Peter and they're going to chain him to guards. And he's still going to get away. All right. How's that happen? Well, here's, here's a serious point. When you are committed to sharing the gospel in obedience to Christ, nothing can stop you. Nothing can stop you. And so they come back and they say, verse 23, the prison truly found we shut with all safety. They're trying to emphasize, look, we were doing our job. We don't know what happened. And the keeper's standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within. Wow. Bad day at work if you're a prison guard. Now imagine the shock on the faces of the Sanhedrin and other elders. These envious leaders were trying to stop miracles. And yet, God used their efforts to perform more miracles. These demonstrations of power, again, will only come to the Lord's servants who are committed to gospel work regardless of the opposition that they face. A week ago, we had some missionaries here, the Ellis's, and over lunch last Sunday afternoon, we were talking about uh, their work, what they've seen and done in Mexico, and they were talking about some prison ministry they've been involved in down there. And I listened and rejoiced in, in the mighty work that God's doing in some of those Mexican prisons through church leaders that they're helping to raise funds to train. And so good news, we get to have a part in that. But I shared with them that I had an opportunity to minister in a Mexican prison as well. I've never shared this story here. I was traveling with a youth evangelistic team, and we had a week off, and so we went nine hours into the interior, and the missionaries we were with got us an opportunity in a Mexican prison in their town. And so they told us, here's what we're going to do, and they had asked us, if before, when we knew that this opportunity was available, they said, can you contact the university? I was traveling with Bob Jones University. They said, can you contact the university and can you get the film Flame in the Wind in Spanish? How many of you have seen the film Flame in the Wind? All right, so, some of you have. Well, it's, it goes back to the Spanish Inquisition. It exposes the, the hypocrisy of the church during that time. Uh, the false doctrine, and it's, it's a, a story uh, about uh, those that turn from Catholicism uh, to put their faith in Christ, and, uh, and so it's a powerful film, and we're going to show this in a Mexican prison, and so I was already a little nervous. I had, I had seen the film, and I thought, how are they going to respond when, when these things start being shown? Well, so we get to this prison. And I'll never forget that night because unlike prisons here, all the guards stay outside. They don't even go in. They gave us a key. We let ourselves into an iron cage. We unlock the door to the other side of the cage. So now we're in the prison. We locked ourselves in, walked around, and handed the key back through the bars to the guards. And there are prisoners walking all over, and they're checking us out. 
Who are these Americans? We have a projector and we have this film and we're directed across the courtyard by some prisoners into this room. Now, this room was built into the corner of the prison courtyard. So there's one door in and there's one window. There was electricity in there. So we go in and we start setting up this projector. We're in there and now prisoners start coming into this room. They fill the room, only there's about 40 prisoners between us and that door. So however they respond to this film, Lord, we're going to need a miraculous rescue, all right? Well, we're getting all set up and the sun was still shining and the direction of the sun was coming right in that window and so they spoke some Spanish. Next thing you know, a prisoner shows up and in one hand he's got a blanket, in the other hand he's got a hammer and nails. Thought, this is not good. How do these prisoners have hammers and nails? And so they tacked that up there. The movie started. I'm praying. I'm watching. I don't understand any of the Spanish, but I'm watching. I'm praying. I'm watching. I'm praying. There's a scene in there where uh, one of the characters is trying to escape from prison. And it was hilarious because they're all cheering for him. They're hoping he gets out. And then, so a couple different times in it, the gospel is clearly given. And after it was done, the missionary went to the front and he gave an invitation. I remember sitting in the back of the room, watching how the gospel had gripped the hearts of these prisoners. There, here, here we are, right in the middle of these prisoners. He gave the invitation, he invited prisoners to receive Christ. Fourteen hands went up out of that group. Fourteen trusted the Lord that evening. So we packed up of all, all of our things. At night, we're walking across a Mexican courtyard, in a, or a Mexican prison courtyard. We, again, get the key. We let ourselves into the iron box, let ourselves out, and all the way to the vehicle. I'm thanking God that I still was among the living. Uh, but you know, I would never have been able to experience what God did that night if we just weren't committed to giving the gospel. We would not have been able to experience any of that unless we were committed, no matter what happens here, Lord, you've called us to do this, we're going to give the gospel, and we got to see his mighty hand. And I think those kinds of experiences God wants all of his church to know if we will just be ready always to give an answer and share the gospel with the lost. Say, well, I, I feel threatened. You know what? You have no reason to fear. You've got God. He uses his angels and the gospel is powerful in any situation. We're unstoppable if we're in his will and yielded to him. Now notice what the angel says for them to do before they are released. Again, go, speak, they do that. Now verse 24. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple, okay, uh, the chief priests heard these things. They doubted of them. They were perplexed and wondered under the, uh, whereunto this would grow or what the outcome would be, what this would come to. 
We just lock people up. We don't even know where they're at. And now we find out they're up there preaching. That's where we arrested them uh, to begin with. Now they're right back up. What is going to come of this? Wow. They're standing in the temple, verse 25, teaching the people. Now here in the narrative is where we need to pause and consider the contrast between the apostles and these religious, political, educated leaders. This was, and we use the term today, this was the establishment. They're deeply entrenched. Do you ever watch the news, what's happening in our nation's capital, what's happening in Richmond, and perhaps in city government, and think, you know what, they are so entrenched. How, how can anything be done? Do you know God can do mighty things as long as we keep his work in mind? This is not about one party winning anything. This is about God having his way. God being pleased. The apostles were looked down on as being uneducated commoners. But they had the Holy Spirit's power. Life-saving truth. And they were having a significant impact on the lives of their neighbors and countrymen. That should be the testimony of the Church of Jesus Christ in America. The Sanhedrin were educated, wealthy elites who had no power from God, taught irrelevant traditions, and were having no helpful impact on the nation. Wait, does this all sound familiar? On the news, they keep trying to convince us how good it's going to get. Do you know what I think when I hear all that? Irrelevant. Irrelevant. The council was desperate and would do anything to keep their power, their authority, their influence. They were desperate. The apostles were dependent on God would sacrifice anything to have God's power and meet the critical needs of others. Think of the irrelevance of what is being taught as truth today. Just think for a moment. False religion, evolution, the global warming cult, CRT, the transgender agenda. Look around what is the real help to people and significance of any of that mush? Is anybody being helped? No. Are we better? Are we safer? Are we healthier? No. No. What is the benefit of teaching people God can't save, he didn't create you, he can't sustain the planet that you're on, that whole groups of people are racist based on their skin color, and you can't be sure what gender you are. How's that help? It don't. None of this helps anything, but it's the platform of one political party in our nation, and it's their religion. 
It's their religion. And yet sitting around you tonight are those who have heard the transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. Our lives are changed. Our families are changed. And we help our neighbors as we show them eternal hope in Christ. But you and I and anyone who dares to declare God's truth are hated when we dare to expose the unhelpful insignificance of what is being touted today as science and woke thinking. Now, along with the insignificance of what is being taught as fact and science, there's also this. Not only is it insignificant, but they also know that admitting what the Bible says is true because, uh, is a threat because if the Bible is true, all men are accountable to God. That's in this text, so let's read on now. Acts 5.26, then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they should have been stoned. You think? These people that everybody up there knows somebody who's been healed. And now a bunch of them have put their faith in Jesus Christ. They have peace. Their sins have been washed away. And you're coming to arrest these guys again? Yeah, see how that goes. And so they come and they nicely say, uh, gentlemen, would you, would you come with us? Verse 27, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? Here's something significant. They don't use Jesus' name. It's a threat. By the way, what's that tell us? Today, you can't use his name. You can pray in any other name. You can't use his name. And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Again, they won't mention him. But his blood was upon them. Now this had to bring to their minds, the high priest's mind, all of their minds, how Jesus had risen from the tomb, even though there were sentries posted outside there as well. Connect the two. They had posted a guard. That guard couldn't stop Jesus. Now they had sent these guys to jail. They had posted sentries there. They couldn't keep them in jail either. These leaders, in fact, had paid off the Roman guards not to tell what really had happened outside the garden tomb. All this is going through their minds. And then verse 29, here's what Peter says. Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. What a testimony. Are we convinced of our need to obey God regardless of men? In this nation, we haven't been told, you can't say that, not yet anyway. You can't proclaim that name. You can't teach or preach that in the streets. You can't share the gospel. 
But if it ever came to that, what would be our attitude? And by the way, if right now with the freedoms we do have, if we're not sharing the gospel, what makes you think when there is a threat like this to you that you'll share the gospel then? I've shared this before, and I believe it's true. If the Lord doesn't have a committed church, <coughs> he will do what is needed to have a committed church by purifying that church. And what does God use? Persecution. So we can let the Lord use us now, or he can help us be ready other ways. I don't want to see that happen. I don't want to see it come to that. We need to pray that we can live quiet and peaceable lives. But a persecuted church is a powerful church. And a persecuted powerful church is a church that, again, gets back to doing what they should be doing. So let's be faithful, brethren, now. Now we have to close here in the message. However... What will follow is the amazing reality that instead of the apostles being on trial, <coughs> excuse me, instead of the apostles being on trial, they in fact put the Sanhedrin on trial. Again, the power of the gospel. They're going to put the Sanhedrin on trial. And what they say about Christ, these insignificant leaders cannot refute cannot refute why do they end up beating them because they're under great conviction uh, they feel threatened they want this to stop I think down deep they understand they're really powerless to do it if we beat them maybe that will help but I don't think they were too encouraged when they let these guys go and right out of uh, right out of the place where they were all assembled. These men are rejoicing, thanking God that they were counted worthy to suffer. And so in conclusion, loud, harsh, threatening voices today want to silence the true church of Jesus Christ. They do so for two reasons. They know the failure and insignificance of their teachings and their religions. Can't help. They also do so because to acknowledge the Bible makes them accountable before the God who gave us the Bible. Remember that the gospel message and its power, its transformative work is irrefutable and exposes the irrelevance of what is passing today as wisdom. So friends, let's continue to declare God's truth as we yield to the power of his spirit. When you go into this week, share the gospel. You have heaven behind you, the spirit of God in you, and the host of heaven at the command of our Lord to help with the spread of the gospel. Of course there's going to be opposition. Why? Because they know that what they have is empty foolishness. But that's what they're putting their trust in. It's not helping. It's not changing anything. But they know it. 
And then secondly, if they believe what you believe, then they are accountable to the God of heaven. So help them understand that the God of heaven loves them so much he sent his son to die on a cross to save them. Share that glorious truth with him. He, God so loves the world. He loves you. All these things that you say you believe that aren't able to help anything. Listen, would you just set that aside and would you put your trust in Jesus Christ? Share his love with them and watch what God will do. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. And the Holy Spirit hasn't lost his edge. He's God. And let's go forth in his power. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.